0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to back up two verses. We'll start with verse 14 instead of 16. We've been jumping around a little bit in the book of Luke, and uh, now I think we're going to forge ahead, just kind of work our way through. Uh, And and what I've skipped is uh, the the first part, and maybe at Christmas we'll come back to those early chapters where it speaks of Jesus' birth, and that'll be appropriate for the season. Uh, But what we have skipped as well is, and it's important to put it in context, we have have skipped uh, the baptism, John the Baptist, the story of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus and where the Holy Spirit came upon him. That's going to that's going to be a factor in what we're reading this morning. And then the Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness, the early, early uh, verses of chapter 4, and he is tempted by the devil there, and of course he's victorious over the temptations of Satan. And then we pick up the reading here and, uh, in, Luke, in ver- Luke 14, and uh, as we begin uh, this section, Jesus's, uh, the, Luke's record of Jesus' ministry, one theme that shines through in these early chapters is the authority of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed in the service the hymns and the prayers and things we've been reading, uh, they've all had to do with showing Jesus' authority, or it mentions Jesus authority. So in these next uh, two or three chapters, uh, he teaches. we see that Jesus teaches with authority, beginning here in verse 4:15. He also exercises authority over demons. We'll see that in verses 36 to 41 next week, Lord willing. Then we'll, then we'll see his authority over sickness, several places in chapters 4 and 5, and then authority over nature. We looked at that last week with a great catch of fish when the disciples were first called. Uh, he also has authority to cleanse. We'll see that in chapter 5. And authority to forgive sins. As well in chapter 5 and then over in chapter 6, we'll see his authority over the Sabbath. So I think Luke's trying to tell us something about who Jesus is and, and his authority. So today, we're going to be looking at, uh, at Jesus' authority in his teaching in particular. So pick up that as we read verse 14 and following. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind." to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Let's skip down to verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Well, Jesus was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Perhaps you have heard some great sermons in your lifetime, probably at another church. Sermons you'll never forget. I know I've heard a few. However, they were all delivered by sinful, fallible human beings that, yes, the Lord has graciously raised up to give us God's Word and chosen to use in that way. But imagine what it would have been like to hear the sermons of Jesus, the sinless, perfect Son of God, who is the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge. That would be quite a different experience. Surely to hear Jesus teach and preach would have given us the experience of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus who said, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us while he opened to us the scriptures? What a wonderful thing it is that we have preserved for us in our Bibles the message of Jesus. We actually have some of his sermons written down for us. The same message that Jesus proclaimed with His voice and His life is in our hands. And God has raised up preachers to continue to proclaim it. Now, granted, it's not the same thing as hearing it from the mouth of the Lord, but the message is the same. It's the glorious good news of salvation and redemption. As we will see in this passage, some people eagerly listened to Jesus. But, even in spite of the power and authority of His Word, many people rejected Jesus. They refused to hear and receive the message He proclaimed. Now the question before us today is this. Are we like the people of Nazareth, we just read about, who rejected Jesus and His teachings? Or are we like others, perhaps like the Thessalonians, to whom Paul wrote and said, We thank God constantly for this that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. How have you received this message from the Lord, His teaching? Well, I want to point out two things today that you have there in your outline, Jesus' preaching and then Jesus' reception. How was he received and and what does it tell us here about his preaching? Well, first of all, it tells us that Jesus was in the habit. He went around preaching uh, widely in that area in which he lived. Uh, Verse 15 says he taught in their synagogues. Verse 16 tells us that it was his custom that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Every Sabbath day he was there. You think about that, here's a little side point for you. If it was important for the sinless Son of God to be in, in, in worship every week, how much more is it important for us sinful human beings to gather before the Lord each Sabbath day? So Jesus was in the habit of gathering together on the Sabbath day, and he did uh, his uh, preaching and teaching there as well as in other places. But it tells us here that Jesus preached with authority. Uh, Verse 22 uh, says, All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And in verse 32, They were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Now, that word authority means authority with power. Sometimes a, a person might have authority to do something, but not the power to do it. I taught high school Bible for a few years, and I had the authority to teach Bible, but I had little power, and my class was very undisciplined. And I, was, I guess I was just too nice, and, and it, was, it was a bit of chaos. I wasn't a very good high school teacher but I had the authority I was supposed to be there and I knew my subject matter but I'm not sure how much of an impact I made because I didn't have any power or I didn't know how to exercise it properly or you think about some uh, dictatorships where the dictator is supposed to be deposed and they the country has an election and there's a, a leader who is democratically elected He has all the authority to be the leader, but because the dictator still has a big army, he doesn't have the power to take his role on. The word here marries those two ideas. It's the word that means authority with power. So Jesus has the authority or the right to teach and preach, and he has supernatural power to exercise that right. That's what the people noticed when they heard Jesus preaching, the authoritative power of his words. They had never heard teaching and preaching like this. He knew, obviously, what he was talking about. He's the Son of God, after all. And his words had force. They made an impression. They they left an indelible mark upon the hearers. Now, Jesus tells us here that even though he was the Son of God, that this authority he had was, was de- actually derived from the anointing that he received. He quotes Isaiah 61 when he, or, well he didn't quote it, he reads it from a scroll when he's there in the synagogue in Nazareth, and, he's, and he reads this about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, etc., now that word anointing, it's the word where we get Christ from. Christ means the anointed one. And that word anointing, it literally refers to the act of putting ointment or oil on your body. Like rubbing in some lotion, you're anointing yourself. Now, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When, when they talk about anointing, what, they, what they're referring to is when someone was anointed with oil. And it was a symbolic act to show that this person was being equipped and given the authority and the right to perhaps be king or to take on the role of priest. There was an anointing, a symbolic act that uh, they did, especially in the Old Testament, you see it. So when kings in the Old Testament ascended to the throne, you remember King David, when Samuel went to his house, he... He finally got through all the sons. They were all rejected, and, and, and the Lord told Samuel, David, this, this little runt of a guy, uh, he's the one I want you to anoint as the future king of Israel. And so right there, Samuel anoints him with oil. So that word refers to this, to this ceremony, but it means that, that you're equipped and you're given the authority and the right to do something. Now, Jesus wasn't uh, anointed with oil, but he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, he says. And of course, that's what happened back in chapter 3, where the Holy Spirit comes upon him as he submits to the baptism of John and the voice from heaven. The Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So Jesus was anointed. With the Holy Spirit, he was filled with supernatural power to fulfill the mission the Father had given him. And he refers, that, refers to that in verse 43. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He was sent to be a preacher and a teacher. He was sent to, to, to come with us, uh, to us with power in his word. And he is the word, he is the way, the the truth and the life, the truth especially, is noted there. John 3.16, that's exactly what is referred to here. God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this manner, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was sent on this mission. He was sent for this purpose. And what did he preach? He preached with authority and power. Uh, What did he preach? Well, verse 22 says that he preached with words of grace. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words. Literally is uh, words of grace. Words of grace. They were amazed at the words of grace that were coming from his mouth. Isn't that wonderful? Words of grace, of favor. Uh, Grace is such a wonderful word and, and an even better concept that God's favor, God's blessing, God's love is being poured out freely upon people who don't deserve it and they cannot earn it. And he proclaimed this... Verse uh, or the verses that are, are are recording for us, verse eighteen, Isaiah sixty one one and two. Look what he says: The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those are. Words of grace. Let's break that down just briefly. Good news to the poor. You might read this and go, well, it means that the poor are going to get rich. Not necessarily. Jesus said the poor you're always going to have with you. But the poor rarely have good news. Their lives are difficult. And here Jesus is saying, those who are least likely to hear some good news are getting some good news. Liberty to the captives, those who are in bondage will be freed. Recovery of sight to the blind, self-explanatory. Liberty for the oppressed, those who are facing injustice, they will be set free at liberty. And then the year of the Lord's favor. That's uh, another way of talking about the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year in Israel... Uh, all the land was returned back to those who, uh, whose inheritance it was. And when someone got into debt, they would put themselves into a, a, a bond servant situation. All the captives were free. It was a, it was a great reset, a 50-year reset for everything in Israel. And that's what the Lord is bringing, a reset. He's, he's initiating and inaugurating a new era when he comes with this good news of God's grace and favor, and he's bringing it to us. Now, we can spiritualize all of this, and I think that's appropriate to do. We can talk about good news to poor sinners. We can talk about liberty to those who are in bondage to sin and oppressed by sin, and that's certainly true. Recovery of sight to those who are spiritually blind. God does, through Christ, give us ears to hear and eyes to see things spiritually that we're blind to without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. In God's favor, unmerited favor, His grace, uh, certainly is a spiritual thing, but, but there's an ultimate fulfillment of this that is both spiritual and physical. When Christ returns the second time, and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. There's not going to be any more poverty. There's not going to be any more captives. There's not going to be blindness or any other illness, for that matter, or malady. There's not going to be any oppression because there's not going to be any more sin. There's going to be a physical manifestation of all these things. We enjoy the spiritual fruit of this now. So bringing good news. What's interesting about this quotation is that Jesus stops mid-sentence here. If you go back to Isaiah 61, verse 2, he says, uh, it says, uh, he's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where Jesus stops. But Isaiah's prophecy says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus doesn't talk about the day of judgment here. He stops short of that in his, in his reading from Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah 61. And that's because he's come the first time full of grace and truth. But the second time when he returns, he will come in judgment. Therefore, it's important for us to appropriately respond to the words of grace that he brings. We are in this era of God's grace coming to us, and we don't want to, to miss it. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 3:17. So yes, he's coming again in judgment. He doesn't point that out here, but it is going to happen but he's come in his, gracious, in, his, in his gracious acts of salvation that he's preaching to us and what he's going to do for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So Jesus is proclaiming this wonderful news and he's doing it with power and authority and, and people are blown away by the way that he is, he is preaching and teaching in the synagogue but not everybody believes you you would think wow with a perfect preacher Jesus the perfect preacher because he was sinless and that meant all of his sermons were perfect sermons i can't even imagine what that would be like these perfect sermons that he preached even though people heard them many people rejected it notably the people in nazareth verse 22 all spoke well of him and marveled or they were amazed at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, the words of grace that were coming from his mouth, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? So they were, they were blown away by the fact that this, this person that they have known for decades, who was a carpenter following in the footsteps of his father, whose family lived there in Nazareth, that, that he is the one standing up and, and delivering these sermons that's teaching with such authority he's not any kind of learned person he's not one of the the rabbis of the synagogue but here he is preaching and teaching like this and jesus knowing what they're thinking he says Doubt, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb physician heal yourself what we have heard you did at capernaum do here in your hometown as well so what they want Jesus to do, they've heard about some of the miracles that he has done over in Capernaum and the healings that have happened. Uh, they wanted for him to do it there in Nazareth, kind of show out a little bit. Uh, when they say, physician, heal yourself, heal your own people, heal the people in your hometown. Do that work here. But Mark tells us in the, when he records this event, He says, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Now you might think, well, maybe if Jesus did a few miracles, those people would believe. Why didn't he do any miracles? Well, you'll see throughout Scripture. Miracles do not induce belief. Just because somebody sees a miracle didn't mean that they were going to believe. A lot of people make that mistake. They think, uh, I'll believe in God if he you know, does something fantastic, that I can see him, that I can uh, see some miracle. That would, that would help me believe. That is not true. That is not true. The, nobody in the first century that, that knew Jesus and witnessed the miracles, nobody denied that they happened. Everybody agreed that Jesus did miraculous things, that he healed people and and did many other mighty works. John says you couldn't, you'd fill up all, there was not enough books to fill up all the things that Jesus did in his life. The people who actually put Jesus to death did so because of his miracles. They saw the miracles and that's why they killed him. They wanted to get rid of him. John eleven forty seven through 48. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then the high priest steps up and says, We've got a plan. We're going to let this guy die to save the nations, to save our place of power and, and, and to save us from the Romans. So they knew the miracles, but they refused to believe in Jesus. So miracles don't induce belief. A prophet is not honored in his hometown, Jesus says. In other words, familiarity breeds contempt. They couldn't get past the fact that they knew him when he was a child. And they knew he wasn't trained, that he was a carpenter. And so they rejected Jesus. We have to be careful here. I mean, we can fall into the same trap that the Nazarenes, the people of Nazareth, uh, did. A, well, they were a little different. They refused to believe. They heard the wonderful words of Jesus They heard the words of grace that he taught and preached in the synagogue. Yet they refused to believe, even though he preached with power. We can do the same, certainly. We can just flat out refuse to believe and keep Jesus at arm's length. But there's also a temptation for us who have been in the church for a while to become kind of like the Nazarenes, in that familiarity breeds contempt. In a way, we've, we've heard it all. We kind of get bored with the message. We don't take it seriously anymore. Uh, we're, we're not spending time in the Word. We've grown cold in our love for the Lord. These things can happen to us, and we can respond just like the Nazarene with familiarity breeding contempt, or to put it another way, to be inoculated from the Gospel. We've we've heard it, we know it, so we don't we haven't actually believed it, but we have to be careful. Are we actually listening to Jesus? Are we going to respond to Jesus' words of grace with unbelief or contempt through familiarity? Or will we respond like the people in verse forty two? Quite a different response. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. They couldn't get enough of Jesus' preaching and teaching. They didn't want him to leave. They said, please stay. But he said, no, I've got to go to other towns as well to spread the word far and wide. But those people were hungry for his word. They didn't want to, to lose his preaching and teaching. Do we have that kind of same kind of zeal for the words of grace that we have in the Bible, the words of Jesus, the words of his apostles? Do we have a, a love for his word? Do we spend time in it every day? This powerful, supernatural word inspired by God and given to us that men and women of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work Are we hungry for his word? Well, in John chapter 1, I think John refers to this whole episode in Nazareth and uh, in all of Jesus' life, how he was received uh, by his own people, particularly the people of Nazareth. says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I hope today that that you will all remember that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And his message is one of grace and truth. And if you're a sinner, which you are, all of us here are, will you reach out to him? Will you listen to his word? Will you respond appropriately, turning from sin, coming to him, the one who frees those trapped in sin, the one who forgives sin and who will one day free us from sin altogether, even the very presence of sin, Will you commit yourself to trusting him and trusting in his word and exercising faith like the disciples did that we looked at last week? Because you say so, Lord, we'll let down the nets. Will you say that to the Lord? Because you say so, Lord, I will listen and believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity To hear your word, we pray that we would not take that for granted. Pray that we wouldn't take for granted that we have many Bibles in our homes, that they would not gather dust. We even have them on our phones, Lord. So wherever we go, we can can have your word. We pray, Lord, that, that we would not take that word for granted, but you would impress it upon our hearts and give us a hunger for it like we've never had before. And and Lord, most importantly, may you grant us faith to believe its message, to put our trust not in our own works, not in our own righteousness, but in yours, the one who lived and died and rose again on behalf of his people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.